Writers write, ostensibly, because we want to communicate something. To tell a story, perhaps, an unfolding, many-chaptered story that emerges in various guises over the course of a single life. I am no different. But this story, one I began writing more than ten years ago, has shifted its shape many times beneath my hands in those years, and every time I held back from releasing it, afraid of letting something breathe the airs of the world that had not yet finished its forming. Something imperfect. Fortunately, or unfortunately, the world usually cracks open cocoons in its own good time, or, as in my case, its abrupt and ill-equipped time. And those who anxiously flutter around them holding the bits closed and worrying about what will come of this business with wet wings are wasting their efforts. In my case, a push from a good friend and an onslaught of financial necessity coincided to trumpet. It's time, Kay, whatever you may think about the matter. Stand back. Release it. And so that is how I come to be saying now, Hello, and welcome to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form, rather like serial radio shows of old. I am the author, Kay Ben-Avraham, and your host for this journey. Bring hot beverages and soft blanketed armchairs or good long stretches of walking or dull window-staring commutes, and I will bring story to share with you. It is the story of a dryad and of the journey to waken the heart. Shall we begin? The Flower of the Cedar Epigraph I shall enchant my heart, and I shall place it upon the top of the flower of the cedar. Now the cedar will be cut down, and my heart will fall to the ground, and thou shalt come to seek it, even though thou pass seven years in seeking it. But when thou hast found it, Put it into a vase of cold water, and in very truth I shall live. From The Tale of the Two Brothers Author's Note When I found the story given here, lost among the papers of a woman grown incommunicative with age, 
I had not looked for it, and in truth I cannot tell whence it came any more than its apparent caretaker could. The pages were handwritten, in late dryadic, and bound also by hand with both care and craft, for though the volume clearly bespoke great age, yet its back bore well the weight of its years. The tale is, of course, thoroughly dryadic in nature and concerns, and from its admittedly scant treatment with the elves, I mark that it seems to come in days late into the fourth age of our world. For the elves, you will doubtless see, have already here suffered their fading once the great ring was destroyed, and their lands and people gone into hiddenness. The written words of the god had begun to be preserved, taught, and spread among the dryads, though that race had not yet reached its zenith and subsequent infuriatingly mysterious, because unrecorded, withering. This would seem to place its telling somewhere antecedent to the beginning of our own written history. It seems, too, a composite text, compiled through the telling of events as only each of those figures within could have known it, and I cannot make out whether the hand that set it all down be of elf or dwarf, dryad or lamia, man or woman. I should say hands, for I noted at several points the lettering change, though I say this with some confidence as a textual scholar, the narrative voice undergoes no such stylistic interruptions. My own theory, though others may care to dispute it, is that the tale was originally of oral transmission, and transcribed severally, for if it had been written concordant with its events, one would expect the language to be old dryadic rather than late. Perhaps some among the late dryads knew or suspected somewhat of their approaching diminishment, and wished to preserve their lore, particularly the god-tales. Such questions, of course, cannot be satisfactorily answered, and the pursuit of them must eventually end in speculation. A note on the translation Often woman, or man, or girl, or the like, stand in for their dryadic counterparts, for, to my knowledge, we have none in our language any longer. And, for good or ill, I chose to clothe this tale anew in a language we may read, however impoverished, however dwindled. Yet, despite its various oddnesses, I found I loved it, and, as with all loves, I would share it, if I might. And so I drew it from among the manuscripts and the moldering volumes of that strange and lonely house, and I bent over its lines for many nights, and I wrote to those few of my colleagues remaining who know somewhat of the dryadic tongues, which once were as common as Latin or Greek to a young academic. 
several gave helpful aid in the readying of its text for a readership born beyond the penumbra of dryadic lore. I am especially grateful for the perhaps self-evident advice to describe them, which has been rendered imperative in our age, when our woodlands have lain silent for generations beyond reckoning, and we do not any longer remember the dryad's amber eyes in the gloaming, nor the many hues of their skin. Perhaps this story will not find many friends in this world, but I knew when first I saw it that I would give it a voice nonetheless. You may make of it what you will. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Benavraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon, who make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much. <laughs>